Hi, I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. This is ultimately, it's a book of questions, and it's a book of really strange hope, because I think art can give that to us, even if it's like the most desperate, urgent noir that ends in a total bloodbath. Sherlock Holmes, the quintessential detective, is a character far removed from reality in many ways. Superhumanly capable, astute and aware. In real life, though, detectives thrust into the true underworld of crime are rarely perfect. Hence why in the 1920s a new type of literary detective entered the scene, birthing the hard-boiled genre. Inspired by the bleakness of the crime-infested world of the 1920s and 30s, hard-boiled detectives flirt between good and bad. Their thoughts are darker, their methods more violent, they are more cynical and therefore perhaps more real. The genre was popularised by writers such as Dashiell Hammett and refined by writers like Raymond Chandler. But now, in 2023, the genre has had a complete, and I mean complete, makeover, thanks to one extraordinary book, Scorched Grace. I am delighted to say that the book's author, Margot Dewey, is my guest today. Chapter 1. Holiday. Sister Holiday is a queer, chain-smoking, heavily tattooed nun. Yes, you heard that right. She is not your typical femme fatale with legs up to her eyelashes. In fact, she is entirely covered in her nun's habit. Sister Holiday puts her amateur sleuthing skills to the test as she tries to uncover the mystery behind a shocking arson attack at St. Sebastian's School. With the Sisters of the Sublime Blood and their surrounding community thrust into chaos, and Holiday unsatisfied with the official's response, she becomes determined to unveil the mysterious attacker herself and return her new home and sanctuary to its former peace. Scorch Grace launches a new series of books to come from Margot. The list of accolades it's received already are too numerous to name. It's even been optioned for screen adaptation, which would be very exciting. But let's start by finding out about the genesis of this book. What on earth did Margot want to achieve with Holiday, the tattooed nun? And what was her initial intention? Incineration. Just complete and total. (laughs) The idea of burning and passion, they're so they're so layered, these concepts that we think about that are part of our lives. For me, they have religious roots, they have poetic roots, they have queer roots, they have artistic roots, and I see hard-boiled and noir as spaces and forums for particularly interesting and carnal explorations of burning. So I've always wanted to write a sleuth series. I've always wanted to write a hard-boiled, inspired experience that would be a couple of books, you know, a series. And so in order to have the fuel and a driver to take us through various arcs and experiences and mysteries, I needed a sleuth that really was a mystery to herself in a way that was kind of different than my favorite guys, you know, Marlowe and even 
devil in blue dress, you know, the easy Rollins, some of the, t- you know, real titans of hard boiled canon were like, yes, they were messes and <laughs> questions to themselves, but it was less, that was less of the project for their author. But I really wanted to root this mystery in a character driven, language driven, sensorial immersed character. So Holiday just came to me as a vehicle for self-inquiry, for state of the nation polemic, for absolutely, you know, destroying your your life that you have to then rebuild and then you mess it up again. And the kind of emotional larceny that we commit against ourselves all the time. I just, I really love characters that are very flawed. I like characters that aren't messes for the sake of the mess, but for their humanity, because I think that can be very beautiful and healing and reparative to just see how people kind of, you know, that get out of the, get out of the problems and the pits that we, we basically throw ourselves into. So all of that to say a very long winded answer to say, I wanted to, uh, you know, to start with a very unstable, shaky foundation in, in order to, you know, create a, a, a really just a world of, of voltage and heat and fire that would then move through the kind of cycles of life with this character. So, you know, each book in the series, its own little storm, and then the the kind of whole broader arc of the of the series for Holiday, telling a different tale that kind of works along a twin track as each particular mystery. Well, I think you set out to do a lot. I mean, you have absolutely 100% delivered on that objective. She is and phenomenally interesting protagonist. So let's let's start with her. You talk about heat and fire, and you've set this in New Orleans, and we'll come on to talk about that because you can feel the heat. But there is there is fire. But let, let's talk about her. She is a character that, you know, essentially could have given up all hope and has been offered one, you know, last shot at redemption through the sisters of the sublime blood. But she is a smoking, queer, tattooed nun which is wonderful. I love that. But the motif of, you know, of burning and of fire, she has ink burned into her, into her flesh. And of course she has to cover that up when she is in, when she's in the sisterhood. And I, and I really, I really liked that. And, and what you do throughout this is you unpeel metaphorically and literally layers of her. We glimpse images and and snippets of her tattoo there is a you know this isn't a spoiler but there is a fire at the very beginning of the story and she wants to uncover why this arson attack has happened who did it what the hell is going on and so you put her in a series of increasingly difficult situations but what i was struck with as i said to you in my notes was for a character for whom you could quite naturally conclude that all hope had been lost. There is a huge amount of hope and joy in her life. And despite all of the conflict that she has with the sisters and the sisterhood, actually, you wonder whether the sisterhood is actually the saving grace of her life. And I thought that was fascinating because it would have been so easy for you to have made this all hope is lost. This is a character that has no form of redemption. But there's a huge amount of hope in her life, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I I think that's the real transgressive message here is that hope is real. Hope is important. We need hope. 
people will go to great lengths to test it, to try it, to find it, to keep it. And that can take characters in different directions. But it's, it is, to me, a really vital expression to try to narrativize what hope actually is and how it can save a life and how we can live with a whole lot of nonsense in order to, you know, get some of the anchoring that we might need to make it through the day, you know, and then you have with Hammett and Chandler and Mickey Splane and all those guys with hard boiled, sometimes it's the drink, it's the lone wolf, not, you know, BS, it's the stagecraft and, and the, re- the ways that like kind of keep them on their vectors of life or the case, you know, the case, the case. And yes, that's absolutely a driving force for holiday, but it is the sisterhood. It is the little moments of, you know, connection with this, the women in the prison when she helps her friend, you know, and her sister, you know, Sister T, who's like my campy incarnation of Mr. T <laughs> with like, there's a lot of camp and a lot of high, you know, a lot of high camp signatures in this book, which also are not to like, you know, fight against earnest expressions at all. I feel like they're very much in the dialectic because for me, camp was like a beautiful door into hope through hanging out with these gorgeous drag queens when I was like a teenager and pretty much ostracized and being kind of brought into a different sisterhood or familyhood as it were. And so I think for holiday, she sees these people who are very service-driven, they're very purpose-driven, they're duty-bound, they don't have money, they don't have cars, they don't have luxuries or modern amenities, but it's the, the life she needs and it gives her it gives her solace. It gives her comfort. It gives her warmth, even though it's a lot of rules and smothering at times. Yeah. And she, <laughs> you know, particularly with some characters, they, you know, hit their limits with one another and there's some sparring, but just like a family, you know, you don't have to like someone to love them. Mm. And I think this is a sort of expression of that too. And but yeah, it's ultimately, it's a book of questions and it's a book of really strange hope. Because I think art can can give that to us, even if it's like the most desperate, urgent noir that ends in a total bloodbath. Mm. Like what we sort of have, you know, scorched grace without giving too much away. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of loss. Yeah. But even one spark can be saved to illuminate something that will come after. And I, I think that's what's really interesting to me about writing in crime fiction is really. It's more about resilience to me. It's more about hope than it is about pain, even though the pain is a beautiful part of it too. Chapter two, the word was always close by. St. Sebastian's is a Catholic school drawn so perfectly, and that's because Margot is writing from experience, having attended a Catholic school herself. And as someone who also went to Catholic school, I saw it instantly and connected deeply with the portrayal of St. Sebastian's. I went to a college called St. Bede's College in Manchester in the 80s and very early 90s with the regular routine of mass, the Eucharist and religious imagery. It was like, if I'm honest, growing up in a play at the theatre. Our religious studies lessons often felt like Catholic studies. And I only really knew about other religions thanks to my mum's Nursing Times magazines, which gave advice about how to care for people with different religious beliefs. 
one part of this book really resonated with me and my experience of college. It reads, I grabbed the Bible stashed in the side table. The word was always close by. And it's so true. You couldn't move without there being a Bible. This realism and genuine understanding came screaming through and made it clear to me that Margot also grew up in a Catholic environment. Oh, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) My family's quite religious, very Catholic. And we have a slightly different take on it in, in a way because my family, my father's family line is Lebanese Maronite Catholic, which is ah, still right. under, under the papal authority. It's very close to Roman Catholicism, except the mass is longer. There's more ostentation. <laughs> there is more of a, let's say, harrowing, you know, <laughs> gauntlet that usually Lebanese Maronite folks are baptized, mm. confirmed, and you have your your communion all at the same time. Oh, really? Oh, wow. As a little bit older, but I mean, I have, you know, a lot of thoughts about like cults and, you know, you essentially like, I think I was however many weeks old when I was, you know, blessed with water and baptized so like i had no consent right. and yet you know you're you're matriculated in you're brought into these spaces through osmosis you know i'm there as this kid just like smelling this incense which i loved it's sort of like was my well maybe not my first drug but you know you're like being hit with this frankincense and myrrh and it's kind of knocking you out almost you know, if as if you were in a magic show, and then you have this dude, you know, hanging from the wall, yeah. and I mean, and he's beautiful and feet, in my opinion, and with like long hair, and it's just very confusing. And then there's like everybody's wearing a body around their neck, and you know what? Like if you step back from it and with some critical distance. And then you ask, like, well, actually, we all tell each other stories. We, you know, what is religion but batches of fables and batches of stories? And certain people have them arranged in this way, and certain people have them arranged. And there's overlap between the Old Testament and Judaism. And, you know, all of it is just this, like, interesting amalgam. But I grew up with it very much a real part of my life. I remember, you know, praying and not quite getting it. Right. Feeling like I was a failure because I wasn't really like hearing the, hearing the voice. And so there was just this immediate, I don't know, default or de facto failing that I felt like um, an almost a parasitic relationship between the church and the congregants that didn't quite like there, the power was very specific And when you're constantly othered, you know, but yet I would look around and see the great comfort that it brought my dad, my mom, my Mm. cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my uncle's a deacon in the church. And there's so much beauty when you can come together if someone has passed and you you gather and you literally create a, a circle around people. Rituals are beautiful. So I wanted a way to kind of bring myself back or not bring myself back, but create a bridge between how I grew up and feeling almost like I would go into a church recently from my my thirties or something, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. And it's like, I'm so sick of feeling like panic attacks when I go into a church. And this was a way to kind of bring a reparative sense of storytelling and almost like 
I don't know, prayer of my own. Art is my prayer. Writing is my prayer. Sister Holiday is sort of like my, <laughs> you know, my way, way to see it in a different light. I just had to kind of write my way through it. And I've been getting a lot of, you know, readers writing to me saying like, I have a lot of religious trauma. This, I didn't really even want to read this book because yes. it was about a nun, mm. but it's so different and it's so unexpected that it actually was very, soothing and like even felt empowering to read it and so you know that sense of finding again about hope as you say walking by a, a church and being like oh my god the stained glass is so beautiful or like you know giving giving an opportunity to say like oh i wonder what sister holiday would do in that church you know yeah. it's funny isn't it because in a way often i have a small amount of envy for people with faith because you know, they are so sure that this is real that I'm like, I wonder what that's like. You know, I wonder what that was like. And I wonder what a huge source of comfort, if I think about my own mum, what a huge source of comfort the church is, is to her. I understand it intellectually, but, you know, spiritually, physically, I don't feel it, but I understand it. But I, I do. It's a great source of comfort to me that it's a source of comfort to her. Does that make sense? The same. Yeah. Same. Absolutely. And Yes. And it is a kind of an envy and writing a holiday who's genuinely devout and also very nuanced <laughs> and has her, you know, her specific complexities as well was really a character experience for me because I had to kind of inhabit that space of belief. And I do think that anything that brings people a sense of pride and safety is a beautiful thing. It's mm. just then when it's weaponized is where I I find that really galling and and obviously hugely damaging. So I, I want the book to bear witness as well to the kind of the oppression, the damage, the violence that this institute these institutions have wrought. And yet institutions are made of people. Yes. Just everyday people, flesh and blood people. Chapter three, the little things we say to ourselves. Even the opening to Scorch Grace is staggeringly good. The devil isn't in the details. Evil thrives in blind spots. This is just one of many examples of Margot's incredibly lyrical writing. Margot is a poet and I have to say, her prose is hauntingly beautiful. You really do need to read this book. I wanted to find out whether the poetry just came into her prose naturally, or if it was an intentional decision to write in this style. Or perhaps she was influenced by the character of Holiday. That means a lot to me, Mark. And you're a very established writer yourself. So from one writer to another, it really, it actually touches me. And I really appreciate that. You know, I, I they're just the aesthetic and the kind of the aim of the book and the character and the style are so inextricably linked. It's just like the heat that gives a particular, you know, experience of traveling somewhere, part of that memory, sense memory. And so the actual lyrical language to me was as important to get right for this character who didn't go to college and kind of rails against certain ways of knowing. But I feel like, you know, if you, even if, if you have, if you, you know, my niece just turned eight 
years old. And the things she says are so poetic and right. so funny. And so I wanted this character to live in a world where you, she's constantly connecting unlike things. And poetry is an avenue. It's a mechanism to do that through metaphor, but also just ways of seeing the world. So even though she's, you know, the, the diction is not necessarily has to be super, super high, though she's very much drenched in the Bible. So mm. there are like biblical and liturgical words that she says a lot and stuff like that. But the poetry, it's a sensibility. And I felt like it was really right for a mystery because it can give you moments to speed up and then slow down. So it has a rhythm that I think works. What I love the fact that a lot of mysteries have their own rhythm, hmm. whether we realize it or not. Like you're reading, whether it's a whodunit or a why done it, there's this kind of rhythmic experience and a tempo. And poetry just felt perfect to, you know, bring more of those signatures into the work very consciously, hmm. but never to decelerate, because I really do want this to be kind of a runaway train. But I don't think. I try to reinvent that for myself. Like, what does it mean to have a poetic moment? Well, it could mean, you know, so just something really unexpected mm -hmm. and something unusual and also play into those mysterious elements as well of decoding and deciphering in the ways that we get things wrong and that we miss things. So having her tell us the story through the first person, urgent aesthetic where she just, you know, the, the, uh, I did. I, I was one of the early reviews that came in the Alfred Hitchcock magazine. Um, they said like the the basically the the narrator just kind of puts you in a headlock, yes. you know, from the first page. And you know that for me is like the ideal scenario with a first person experience that you just have to keep them consistent throughout. So not being able to flag where she's going to go or predict what she's going to say was a yeah really element. What it put me in mind of, because it is so beautiful, and you're right, she does have you in a headlock right from the very beginning. But given the state of the world, it would be very easy to underestimate Holiday as a person, as a woman, but certainly as a character. And the fact that she reaches the heights that she does in terms of her narrative just reminds you that actually the world has many different lenses, you know, and until everyone on the planet can look through the window of a story and see a version of themselves that they recognize, then we as artists have failed. You know, if we don't achieve that, and, and, and that really is when the hard work starts, right? Everyone, every Holiday Walsh out there has to look at a story and go, I recognize myself in that. Now, I mentioned this to you when we first started. I mentioned Truman Capote just because I think he was born in New Orleans. I certainly lived there for a large part of his, his upbringing. I also mentioned DJ Baker, because there is a huge amount of eroticism in his work and in this book. We won't talk about that. But had you asked those two people to collaborate on, you know, reinventing the hard-boiled detective fiction story, I don't think we'd have produced the Sisters of the Sublime Blood, Sister Holiday Walsh. I don't think we'd have produced this. And, and that tells me that you are a writer that has a very clear vision for the types of stories you want to tell. And I think the fact that hearing you say that this is going to be a series is extremely exciting because it makes me wonder how many people either listening to this or reading your work will recognize a version of themselves that will make their authenticity much more real, 
and therefore may inspire them to go on and do whatever the hell they like. Cause that's our job as artists. Right. But I, I just think holiday and everything she represents, we need more holidays in this world, more people like holiday Walsh in this world, because that's really what art is trying to do. It's trying to shine a light on every single one of us, which when you think about it should be the role of religion. I mean, it's it doesn't quite work that way, but it should yes. be the role of religion, right? I so agree. I love that. I totally agree. I, I think that's, I never really thought about it in that way. Wow. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, what, again, if you go, if you go every Sunday, let's just say mm. to a service or even in your quiet moments or your, or your difficult moments, you go to the place of prayer and yet feel like you can't show up for yourself, that doesn't feel like it's, you know, would really lead to a flourishing life. Whereas I think art does, you know, in some ways I've, I didn't view this book as like a course correction or anything, but just as a way to, to take them, these material ideas and really think about when you're moving through the world, you know, again, what gives you hope? What gives you a way to see yourself and for the character I wanted to start the book with her merging in a way looking through the eye of the stained glass so trying to see you know there's one place that's transparent in this stained glass and it's the eye of Mary and so she just like presses her face and looks through the city that's unfolding and I wanted that idea of the fact that we can we're always just eye to eye with our icons with our enemies with each other with ourselves and in a way that art can give us a, a opportunity to reflect yeah. think about our lives think about what love loss think about these big huge questions of like for her you know taking permanent vows or what does it mean to move somewhere or start a new job or get in a new relationship or walk down the aisle and say i do you know life is full of these, these moments of, of questions. And that was really, <laughs> yeah, I guess part of that ref reflection and refraction that I was really interested in, but I do also say, I love Truman Capote and Baker. So thanks. Oh, you do. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. I, I thought for one minute, I may have massively offended you. Oh, no. day. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do think the, the eroticism is a really hugely important element of the book. And because we're talking about ways that we communicate and people mm. communicate. So whether it's the words that I'm saying to you right now and that are going into, you know, people's ears, or if you're reading the, the notes or the transcription, but, you know, communication happens through prayer. It happens through music. It happens through physical touch. It happens through all of these ways that we move through the world. So it was important for me to create some moments for holiday to communicate in those ways too. I love hard-boiled detective fiction i love chandler et al dashiell hammond all of you know all of the all of the greats but i i think if it's lacking in anything it's that it exists and works brilliantly as a piece of detective fiction with a beginning a middle an end a resolution etc but often it lacks saying something about the world that it exists within this book doesn't have that at all there is a huge amount of and and you do resolve, you know, the the initial crime. We do find out, you know, what happens. So that is nicely tied off. It's not necessarily a happy resolution, 
but it is a satisfying one. But there is a line, and, and this to me represents the huge sense of morality and what your book has to say about the world in it. Um, she's quoting her mother. She says, only the broken want to break others, my mother said. And, you know, there is a metronomic beat in this book that is morality and human existence and what we're all here for. And also, you know, you've mentioned othering and the sense that actually, if you do believe in religion, right at the very end, Holiday talks about the fact that, I, you know, I'm, I don't necessarily believe that God is a man. I think God is everywhere and everything. She clearly has that within her, which means that if that is true, then there is no such thing as other. There is only us, right? And we, and whoever we are, whatever we decide, whatever we believe in, that's great. And I think that that is, that, that for me, that's the big takeaway from this, apart from all of the other things about a great new series, a great character, you know, a really well-drawn precinct. For me, if you're going to go down the route of religion, you might as well use it. And you have done because you're essentially saying that as other, as others may see holiday to be actually she's part of the sisterhood and that makes everything okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's just, it's the lifeblood that it just has this art, you know, this real, pumps that begin somewhere and it, it just like life itself you know you just it's like all and media race right we're just sort of thrown into the middle even though oh my first memory was at age three or whatever it was like we're really just <laughs> kind of always in the middle of things in my opinion and morality I feel like is this retroactive I don't know application as a system but as individuals I think we do know what feels good and what feels like pain and you know there's just this constant dance between balancing the light and the dark and you know even in the brain the, the pain and pleasure centers are co-located so there's this kind of constant seesaw and playing with all of that I think was just part of my experience in the book and and even just I know I'm like an obsessive fan but like the hard-boiled <laughs> school is just it's such a and I'm so grateful for it. And it was also, you know, kind of this revolutionary way of writing that was kind of in yeah. response to the more golden age styles of mysteries of Sayers and Holmes and, and even Poe, you know, fellow another American writer. But that idea of like, you know, the thrall of, of the pain or Marlowe, you know, laughing hysterically as he's getting pistol whipped by a cop yeah. you know just like he's like i'm he's like the red meat basically but you know he's going to be bloodied he's going to be absolutely gnarly at the end but he'll still you know figure it out or he'll still pull the trigger or in the maltese falcon it's like quite literally that's the stuff that dreams are made of there is no statue like it's all this kind of wonderful game and there's a delight in this uh, you know the not amorality of it, but the exploration of what, who can we trust? Mm. Who do we know? Can you even know yourself? And so when Holiday says that line from her mom, you know, we, again, whether it's like memories of growing up in church, looking at the stained glass of the stations of the cross and, and all of these like very powerful images or stories, we have them in our heads. So it's whether your parents the tutelage of your parents and the ways that they made of or your caregivers may have taught you things that were either helpful or not so helpful, but like they're all there in this stew. And so in these moments of reflection or dialogue as writers, we like, what do you, what do you tease out 
that in how do you show character action judiciously through some of these moments of reflection? I tend to like those, you know, mm. moments, the little sayings that we say to ourselves, almost like self prayer in a way. But I think that I, I wanted this character to try to figure out morality for herself, even though she's bound in a way to the the tenets of this Catholic order of sisters who are very progressive, but still Catholic sisters. And so bending the law, perhaps, you know, yeah. a little encounter with her student where she goes, you know, she crosses a line and with a ru ruler, which another is a little playing with that, you know, again, like sort of bringing some of those canonical ideas from hard boiled of like where you have a taste for vice, mm. you're trying to maybe right or wrong or, solve a, a riddle for just one moment having a restoration of order it's not tidy it's not easy and i think each character can explore that for themselves it might not be tidy but it is brilliant margot dwai it has been an absolute pleasure thank you very much thank you so much mark what a delight conclusion a massive thank you then to margot dwai for today's episode and to recap what have we learned Messy characters feel real. If they aren't just messes for the sake of the mess and are written in a genuine human way, then they can be very healing and reparative to a reader, allowing them to see how another person can lift themselves up through hardship. If you've ever shied away from including eroticism and erotica in your books, know that it's much more than just sex. Eroticism is a fundamental way in which we communicate with others in this world, and it can play an important role in many stories. And finally, there is always room to refine and reinvent well-loved genres, even if you're going to overhaul them completely, which is what Margot has done, whilst also staying true to the roots of the hard-boiled genre. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. You can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. I would love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode. You can also sign up to the email newsletter for updates about our new exclusive live and in-person residency at the Groucho Club in London, titled Inside Stories. These events are not recorded and not repeated and are designed to put you, the audience, both behind the spine and in the room. If you'd like to go on the guest list, please drop us a line. Goodbye for now, stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.